is there an expiration date on making YouTube videos? In a world where being a YouTuber is the number one career choice for more and more kids these days, what exactly are the factors that might determine someone already in that position to step away? The truth is, YouTube is a fickle business. And I don't mean fickle as in F-A-E-C-A-L, although let's be honest, it can sometimes be exactly that. But no, I mean F-I-C-K-L-E, fickle, as in capricious, unpredictable, treacherous. Content creation can take you ever so gently by the hand and lead you down a spiral of self-destruction before you realize it if you let it caress your ego long enough. Now, I don't claim to know everything about the YouTube business, but I feel like I've accumulated enough experience throughout the years to look at things through a somewhat more informed lens than, say, four years ago when I was just starting to gain any kind of significant visibility on this website. It's sort of like when you climb up Mount Everest, blissful and enthusiastic as you make your first steps up the trail, and you meet someone coming down the opposite way, apathetic and cold, ears mangled by frostbite, nothing behind their eyes, and you're like, hey, how's the view up there? Turn back. Turn back before it's too late. What I'm saying is that you start out on YouTube as this guy, and as the years go by, you become more and more like this guy. So that's what I want to talk about today, but let me take a moment beforehand to briefly talk about our sponsor, NordVPN. Have you ever wanted to read articles on a website that is not available in your country? Or go to a streaming platform to watch specific content that only appears in certain regions of the world? Or do you just value your privacy and want to take further steps to secure your internet browsing? Well, look no further, because NordVPN takes care of all of that and more. A virtual private network, or a VPN, virtually teleports you to any location of your choosing, opening up your browsing to any website on the planet. And NordVPN is certified to be the fastest VPN out there right now. They also offer more than 5,300 plus servers in 60 countries. It's intuitive and easy to use with a one-click connection, or you can even enable the auto-connect feature for zero-click protection. That's right, you don't even have to do anything, it will simply connect to your designated server at startup. NordVPN is working via diskless servers, meaning they do not store any of your data, so protecting your anonymity is their top priority. You can also double your encryption with the double VPN feature, and you have an automatic kill switch that temporarily prevents your computer from connecting to the web if, for whatever reason, the VPN connection happens to drop. It's a great service that we've been using for almost three years at this point, and you know what the best part is? You can try it for yourself with no commitment whatsoever. If you're not into it, you get your money back within the first 30 days, guaranteed. All you have to do is use my code Andre and you'll get a big discount at sign up and the money back guarantee and you will also support the channel by showing the sponsor that you came from this video. So use the link below and enter my code Andre, that's A-N-D-R-E-I, at checkout. Thanks to NordVPN for sponsoring us, now let's get back to our video. A few years ago, I flew to the United States for an event and stayed for a few weeks in Los Angeles. While over there, I got an invite from one of those companies representing the big YouTubers, and they were essentially pitching how they could get me book deals and movie deals and all kinds of enticing offers of this type. I should probably mention that their wall was full of pictures of kids' channels you've never heard of but who actually have tens of millions of subscribers, Lily Singh and Fred. So as this guy was talking about how much money Wilfer and I would make if we basically signed our souls to their company, I told him, listen, I hear what you're saying, it all sounds great in theory, but you say you've worked with Fred. Where's Fred now? And he goes, that's a good point, Fred doesn't really exist anymore. But Lucas, the guy who played Fred, is living his best life out on his ranch in Nebraska, he's invested in real estate, and he doesn't need to work another day in his life. I didn't feel like that was the right move at the time, so we didn't end up signing with them. But I'm not gonna lie, I've been thinking about that 
that guy's words ever since. After all, what is the end game of being a YouTuber? Throughout the years, I've seen so many creators either A, burning out, B, getting consumed by their own ego to the point where they do something stupid and or illegal, or C, simply not keeping up and becoming irrelevant. Now, there's an important distinction to make here between first-person channels and company channels. The trajectory for each of these two categories is vastly different. While the end game for a first-person channel is capped by the creator's capacity to keep it going, a company channel's end game can go much further since it's not reliant solely on one person. That's why I'm not referring to company channels in this video, I'm specifically talking about individual creators. And as we take a look at a few examples, I think you'll see what I mean. I recently stumbled on this video by a YouTuber named Emma Blackery. Now I don't know if you know who Emma Blackery is, but she used to be quite a big deal between 2013 to say 2017. She was consistently getting millions of views with every upload, she would hang out with Markiplier, PewDiePie or Jacksepticeye and was one of the cool kids of YouTube, appearing in rewinds and everything that that came with. So I clicked on her recent video to see what had happened to her. Somewhere along the way, we, we lost our connection. After a serious threat was made to my life back in 2016. That's when I really pulled back. I used to film shit outside my front door and I used to air every single opinion that I had on anything to anyone who would listen. But now I I see kids doing the same thing on Twitter, uh, TikTok. Please, please don't. Oversharing is a very fast way to build a fan base because people feel like they know you. It's also a very quick way to give away every single part of you and leave nothing that is solely your own. While on one hand this was kind of discouraging to watch, her video was interesting to me for a couple of reasons. For one, I can kind of relate to what she's saying. When my channel started getting a lot more views all of a sudden, I too was completely unaware of the boundaries that you need to set up to protect yourself as a creator. And I fully agree that kids these days who find themselves in the spotlight are making the exact same mistake. Because being a YouTuber doesn't come with a set of instructions. You see, there is a direct connection between dialing up the level of oversharing and the positive response you get from your audience. With all the ego boosting and the financial benefits that that comes with. There's this intermediate stage in a YouTuber's career when you're just starting to blow up and everyone's rooting for you, your audience feels like a group of intimate friends, you're sharing parts of your life with them, and everything feels natural. This may last a few months, a few years, or it may even come and go at different points in a creator's career, but it always tends to start consuming all other areas in your life. Your relationships, your hobbies and interests, your very sense of self. It's a dangerous path that is very easy to fall into because the rewards are so alluring and the costs are invisible. But then you start experiencing the pressure of delivering, the stress. Maybe you get into some kind of controversy. Some of your fans start turning against you, even at a small scale. So you begin to put up walls to protect yourself. And I think when a creator gets to that stage, that starts to reflect in the performance of their channel. I think every creator of a certain size sooner or later deals with some variant of this phenomenon. Some acknowledge it, some may choose to ignore it, only delaying the compounding consequences. And in in very rare cases, you see creators straight up refuse to continue to take part in it. If we take Filthy Frank as an example, he was one of the top dogs on YouTube and at the peak of his career he decided to vanish and build an entirely separate brand through his music. It was a huge gamble for someone in his position to take that leap. And not only did it pay off musically for him, but his disappearance actually solidified his legacy on YouTube as well. Another example that I think is relevant, although at a much smaller scale, is that of Diesel Patches. He was a commentary YouTuber who had a surge in subscribers in 2020 and after hitting the 1 million mark, he 
decided he doesn't find it as fulfilling anymore, so he stopped uploading altogether. But looking at these examples, and especially at how people tend to react to them, I can't help but feel like being a YouTuber is grossly misunderstood. Kids who dream of becoming one usually have no idea what that position actually entails. And I feel like I've sort of contributed to this wrong type of mentality with some of my earlier videos. If you truly aspire to master something, you don't get the luxury to procrastinate. You don't get to watch Netflix. It's like the great poet Big Sean says. I done sacrificed my own time. I done sacrificed my own mind. I done sacrificed the club life. I done sacrificed my love life. I mean, of course, sacrifices are required in order to build anything of value, but celebrating the fact that one has to quote-unquote sacrifice their love life or sacrifice their own mind is at the very least short-sighted, because you can't possibly do YouTube forever, at least not with the same energy. If we take the distinction I made earlier, a company channel can go on forever, or at least as long as they produce interesting content, but in order to keep a first-person channel fresh and interesting, the content creation comes with a heavy price on a personal level. You can't isolate yourself for the purpose of feeding the algorithm gods, or you'll burn down all other avenues in your life. And sooner or later, you'll have to visit those avenues in search of something that has long since vanished. Now, that's not to say that YouTube is not worth pursuing, or that every YouTuber is doomed to fall down the same spiral. In fact, for every viral creator riding the peaks of the algorithm, there is a thousand more that are making casual content on a smaller scale about whatever makes them happy regardless of analytics or financial gain. If you look up the guy who created Fred, he's still making videos on random topics that he finds interesting, getting just enough views to make it all worthwhile. Perhaps not as a thriving business, but definitely as an enjoyable hobby. And you know what? I fully believe that he's living a much better life nowadays than back when he was the number one channel on this website. I can't believe I'm at a stage in my life where I'm actually looking up to Fred. But I guess the moral of the story here is to keep in mind that pursuing YouTube doesn't need to be the ultimate goal in life. That there is fulfillment in taking it slow and putting other priorities ahead. As far as I'm concerned, at this point in my life, I do find it somewhat refreshing to no longer look at YouTube as the end-all be-all, but rather as one of the supporting pillars of a much more complex structure. There isn't much of a question to pass on to you guys as we close off this video, so feel free to write down any of your thoughts on this topic down below. And if you don't know what to watch next, hit the link up here here in the corner to watch a previous video of mine. As always, thank you for watching and we'll see you again very soon.